Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. Good to be with you on this day. I want you should know that I'm very happy because this program uh, is being pre-recorded for you. It's brand new. It's not a, a replay. It's brand new, but it's being pre-recorded because I am on a plane and I'm uh, our little community. A sister and I are going to meet with a bishop uh, to explore a new home for us. And um, it, it's a wonderful situation. So I ask your prayers, and um, I'll be gone. Um, uh, we'll be gone a day or two. And but the programs are new and are fresh. Uh, but we won't be able to take your calls and texts and emails these uh, just two days. So stay with us. Don't go anywhere. But it's amazing how I began um, on Monday. Uh, well, actually, Tuesday, Monday was Labor Day, and I began, actually, no, we did begin Monday. We pre-recorded Monday for Labor Day, and um, we began reading Pope Leo Thirteenth encyclical on capital and labor and for Labor Day. And it is amazing, a hundred years back in the late 1800s, amazing how a couple of hundred years back, how apropos this is for today. When he's speaking about labor, he's, he's speaking about the dignity of the human being and God's creation. And, um, and the, not just the errors, but the evils of socialism, how they destroy the individual, how socialism destroys a society, destroys civilization, and is utterly against God's design. So, we're going to continue with that encyclical. It's absolutely, I'm finding it just wonderful. And everything we need to counter what is what we're facing today, especially in the candidates coming up for election, um, uh, I don't, they're all espousing a form of socialism. It is the destruction of the family. It is the destruction of society, and I don't believe that's anyone's personal aim. I believe that's the devil working through people and circumstances, for sure, um, to destroy God's design and at the root to destroy the family, which is God's number one institution to build his kingdom. And so all these good, sincere, uh, assuming, well-meaning souls are spouting philosophies that will destroy our country, will destroy our civilization, will destroy our, the family. So this is very, very important, beloved. God's truth does not change. God does not change. He does not change with time. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, the application of truths uh, can uh, change over time. But if the applications change the very foundation of that truth, they are false. They are false. 
false. Truth does not change. God himself is truth and changes not. So let me back up just one point. Uh, We're on point 19 of this great encyclical. And Pope Leo XIII says, the great mistake made in regard to the matter now under consideration is to take up with the notion that class is naturally hostile to class and that the wealthy and the working men are intended by nature to live in mutual conflict. Now, I'll just say that what socialism vies for is a class-less society, everybody the same, everybody on the same plane. It's not what God gave. He gave the rich, he gave the poor, he gave the middle class, he gave different opportunities, he gave uh, um, different gifts. Uh, uh, So no, he does intend. Excuse me, I think I'll probably sneeze again. Oh. I'm waiting for it, but it's not coming. Okay. So let me go on here. Um, They should not be in mutual conflict, the classes. They are intended to serve one another. That is God's design. And I'll continue with Pope Leo XIII. So irrational and so false is this view that the direct contrary is the truth. Just as the symmetry of the human frame is the result of the suitable arrangement of the different parts of the body, so in a state it is ordained by nature that these two classes should dwell in harmony and agreement so as to maintain the balance of the body politic. Each needs the other. Capital cannot do without labor, nor labor without capital. Mutual agreement results in the beauty of good order, while perpetual conflict necessarily produces confusion and savage barbarity. Now, in preventing such strife as this and in uprooting it, the efficacy of Christian institutions is marvelous and manifold. First of all, There is no intermediary more powerful than religion, whereof the church is the interpreter and guardian. In drawing the rich and the working class together, by reminding each of its duties to the other, and especially of the obligations of justice. Of these duties, the following bind the proletarian and its worker, fully and faithfully to perform the work which has been freely and equitably agreed upon, never to injure the property nor to outrage the person of an employer, never to resort to violence in defending their own cause, nor to engage in riot or disorder. Look at what's happening today. Somebody's fired and he returns a week later and kills numerous people. It, it's an uh, beloved. I don't see that as the mental illness of one man. I see it as the fruit of a sick society who has abandoned God. Um, never to resort to violence in defending their own cause nor to engage in riot or disorder, and to have nothing to do with men of evil principles who work upon the people with artful promises of great results and excite foolish hopes 
which usually end in useless regrets and grievous loss. The following duties bind the wealthy owner and the employees. Listen to this. Employer, the following duties bind the wealthy owner and the employer not to look upon their work their work people as their bondsmen, but to respect in every man his dignity as a person ennobled by Christian character. Catholic men, are you listening? Beloved men of God, how you are God's instrument to your people, to treat them with dignity and in fairness and with honor. Pope Leo XIII continues, they are reminded that according to natural reason and Christian philosophy, working for gain is creditable, not shameful to a man, since it enables him to earn an honorable livelihood. But to misuse men as though they were things in the pursuit of gain or to value them solely for their physical powers, that is truly shameful and inhuman, and that's what's happening to many who enter this country, even illegally, and they are not paid even a minimum wage, and they are treated as slaves. And they put up with it because they have to eat and feed their children. It's evil, beloved. Again, justice demands that in dealing with the working man, religion and the good of his soul must be kept in mind. Hence, the employer is bound to see that the worker has time for his religious duties. Do you hear that? That means the employer is bound to make sure that a Catholic employee can get to Mass on Sunday, whether he returns to work or not. He should have Sunday off. But if that's not possible, he needs to be allowed a couple of hours to go to Mass that he be not exposed to corrupting influences and dangerous occasions, and that he be not led away to neglect his home and family, listen to that, men, listen to that, employers, or to squander his earnings. Furthermore, the employer must never tax his work people beyond their strength or employ them in work unsuited to their sex and age. His great and principal duty is to give everyone what is just. Beloved, we are living in a world that knows almost nothing of this. Can you imagine if we lived this way? The world once lived this way. It's what God gave. There's no reason for us to not live this way. Doubtless, before deciding whether wages are fair, many things have to be considered. But wealthy owners and all masters of labor should be mindful of this, that to exercise pressure upon the indigent and the destitute for the sake of gain and to gather one's profit out of the need of another is condemned by all laws, human and divine. To defraud any one of wages that are his due is a great crime which cries to the avenging anger of heaven. This is not antique. This is not archaic. This is not old-fashioned. This is not language of a different world. This is God's language for today. 
Behold, the hire of the labors, which by fraud has been kept back by you, crieth, and the cry of them hath entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Lastly, the rich must religiously refrain from cutting down the workman's earning, earnings, whether by force, by fraud, or by usurious dealing, and with all the greater reason, because the laboring man is, as a rule, weak and unprotected, and because his slender means should, in proportion to their scantiness, be accounted sacred. Were these precepts carefully obeyed and followed out, would they not be sufficient of themselves to keep under all strife and all its causes? Beloved, they would be. Beloved, that would be. They would be. And any employer who throws this out as religious stupidity as ignorant, wishful thinking, as completely unrealistic, and treats their employees poorly apart from this, you are going against God. You are going against God whether you think he exists or not. You may not believe in gravity, but when you jump off a building, you're going to die. Your belief does not determine reality. And the fact is, you are going against God and your eternity. We continue with Pope Leo XIII's encyclical. But the Church, he said, with Jesus Christ as her master and guide, <clears throat> aims higher still. She lays down precepts yet more perfect and tries to bind class to class in friendliness and good feeling. The things of earth cannot be understood or valued aright without taking into consideration the life to come, the life that will know no death. Exclude the idea of futurity, and forthwith the very notion of what is good and right would perish. Nay, the whole scheme of the universe would become a dark and unfathomable mystery. The great truth which we learn from nature herself is also the grand Christian dogma on which religion rests as on its foundation, that when we have given up this present life, then we really begin to live. God has not created us for the perishable and transitory things of earth, but for things heavenly and everlasting. He has given us this world as a place of exile and not as our abiding place. As for riches and the other things which men call good and desirable, whether we have them in abundance or are lacking in them, so far as eternal happiness is concerned, it makes no difference. The only important thing is to use them aright. Jesus Christ when he redeemed us with plentiful redemption, took not away the pains and sorrows which in such large, large proportion are woven together in the web of mortal life. He transformed them 
into motives of virtue and occasions of merit. And no man can hope for eternal reward unless he follow in the blood-stained footprints of his Savior. Quote, If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Straight out of the scripture. Christ's labors and sufferings accepted of his own free will have marvelously sweetened all suffering and all labor, and not only by his example, but by his grace, and by the hope held forth of everlasting recompense, has he made pain and grief more easy to endure, quote from Scripture, for that which is at present momentary and light of our tribulation worketh for us above measure exceedingly an eternal weight of glory, end quote. You may say, you religious fanatics, you're talking to a minority of people who are Catholic, maybe non-Catholic Christians, but not really. This is a Catholic encyclical by the Pope, by Peter's successor. This is the teaching of the Church. It is the teaching of God, and it is not for Catholics only. It is for every single soul ever created. Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, non-Catholic so-called Christians, um, everybody. Everybody, beloved. Everybody. God created us. This is his plan. It's not his plan for Christians. It's his plan for every human being on the face of the earth. Why are Christians be called Christians? Because I-A-N is a suffix that means belonging to. It is Christ, T-N, Christians. If you speak about uh, the city of Boston, you say Bostonians, then you're to- or Torontonians, you're talking about people of the city of Boston, belonging in a sense to Boston, who live there. If you talk about Christians, which became easily said Christians, you're talking about those who belong to Christ, who follow him. This is not simply Christian doctrine. It is Christian doctrine, but for every soul in the world. But if you're Catholic, it's because you, among all the people of the world, truly believe in Christ and the church he founded and are following him because you want to be in heaven. There's no other path, beloved. There is no other path to heaven, but through Christ and the church he founded. There's no other path. It's what our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to, no one, not Jew, Muslim, atheist, no one comes to the Father but through him. And you can say, no, I can believe in Christ without believing in his church. Well, you can always do what you wish, but to believe in the church is to believe in Christ. To believe not in the Catholic Church is to believe in your idea of Christ. Because to believe in Christ is to believe in his church. He is the body. Uh, He is the head of his body, the church. The church is not more than Christ, not other than Christ. It is, in the words of St. Augustine, the whole Christ. And there is no other way to salvation, beloved. This is for everybody. This is for everybody, beloved. Um, Okay, let me see where we left off. Um, let me see. Here it is. I've got it. Therefore, Pope Leo XIII says, 
Those who for, who those whom fortune favors are warned that riches do not bring freedom from sorrow and are of no avail for eternal happiness, but rather are obstacles that the rich should tremble at the threatenings of Jesus Christ, threatenings so unwanted in the mouth of our Lord, and that a most strict account must be given to the supreme judge for all we possess. The chief and most excellent rule for the right use of money is one the heathen philosophers hinted at, but which the church has traced out clearly and has not only made known to men's minds, but has impressed upon their lives. It rests on the principle that it is one thing to have a right to the possession of money and another to have a right to the use of, uh, to use money as one ills. Private ownership, as we have seen, is the natural right of man, and to exercise that right, especially as members of society, is not only lawful, but absolutely necessary. It is lawful, says Thomas Aquinas, for a man to hold private property, and it is also necessary for the carrying on of human existence, end quote. But if the question be asked, how must one's possessions be used? The church replies without hesitation. That is, God informs us through the church, beloved, without hesitation in the, in, um, in the words of the same holy doctor, Thomas Aquinas, quote, man should not consider his material possessions as his own, but as common to all, so as to share with them without hesitation when others are in need. Whence the apostle saith, quote, command the rich of this world to offer with no stint to apportion lively, largely rather, end quote. True, no one is commanded to distribute to others that which is required for his own needs and those of his household, nor even to give away what is reasonably required to keep up becomingly his condition in life, quote, for no one ought to live other than becomingly, end quote. But when what, but when what necessity demands has been supplied and one's standing fairly taken thought for, it becomes a duty, beloved, it becomes a duty to give to the indigent out of what remains over. Quote, of that which remaineth, give alms, end quote. It is duty, not of justice, save in extreme cases, but of Christian charity, a duty not enforced by human law, but the laws and judgments of men must yield place to the laws and judgments of Christ, the true God, who in many ways urges on his followers the practice of of almsgiving. It's as quoted in the Gospels, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And who will count a kindness done or refused to the poor uh, as done or refused to himself? Okay. Um, let me repeat that without the scripture quote. Um, 
But the laws and judgments of men must yield place to the laws and judgments of Christ, the true God, who in many ways urges on his followers the practice of almsgiving, and who will count a kindness done or refused to the poor as done or refused to himself. You see, what we do to the poor, for ill or for good, we do to ourselves. We do rather to God. Refuse to himself, capital H, to God. As long as you did it, Jesus says, to one of my least brethren, you did it to me. To sum up, Pope Leo XIII says then, to sum up then, what has been said, whoever has received from the divine bounty a large share of temporal blessings, whether they be external and material or gifts of the mind, has received them for the purpose of using them for the perfecting of his own nature, and at the same time he may employ them, employ them as the steward of God's providence for the benefit of others. Quote, He that hath a talent, said St. Gregory the Great, let him see that he hide it not. He that hath abundance, let him quicken himself to mercy and generosity. He that hath art and skill, let him do his best to share the use and utility hereof with his neighbor, end quote. Oh, beloved, I hope you're taking this in. Uh, I know you'd have to go to the encyclical to repeat parts of it, but this is for us today, beloved, and whatever you're getting from it is gold to your life, to your family, to your workplace. We'll be back after this break, and you won't be able to call in now, beloved, but we'll be right back after a short break. God bless you, and don't go away. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays, and it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. By birth, baby's taste buds are concentrated to the tongue and remain there. But at only seven weeks in the womb, taste buds emerge all over the young baby's mouth, allowing a wide variety of tastes, even before birth. Amniotic fluid surrounding the baby is flavored by whatever mom is having. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com Does Jesus condemn praying the rosary in Matthew 6-7 when he says, as the King James renders it, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do? Protestants think so. What's the Catholic response? First, Jesus is not condemning repetitious prayer per se. If he were, well then he would be condemning himself, since according to Mark 14.39, he prayed multiple times, Father, remove this cup, not what I will, but what you will. But that's absurd. So what was Jesus condemning? He was condemning Gentile prayers, which were mindless repetitious prayers, as the Greek text suggests. The Gentiles recited prayers only to appease their gods. They were, as the RSV translates it, empty phrases having nothing to do with expressing one's love for the gods. 
That's what Jesus is condemning, not the repetitious prayer of the rosary. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Welcome back, beloved, uh, to Mother Miriam Live, to our today's pre-recorded but brand new program for you. I recorded this uh, before I left on my trip, and um, it's absolutely fresh and and opportune, uh, vital to our time today. Reading through the letter, just following Labor Day of Pope Leo the Thirteenth's encyclical, encyclical a couple of hundred years ago on labor in capital. And I am thrilled no end to see how much this applies to our society today. Um, Okay, let me see where I left off here. Um, All right, here we go. Um, I think, what did I just do? From Contem... Okay. Um... As for those who possess not the gifts of fortune, they are taught by the church that in God's sight, poverty is no disgrace and that there is nothing to be ashamed of in earning their bread by labor. This is enforced by what we see in Christ himself, who, whereas he was rich for our sakes, became poor, and who, being the Son of God and God himself, chose to seem and to be considered the son of a carpenter, nay, did not disdain to spend a great part of his life as a carpenter himself. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, they would say? Who does he think he is? He's the carpenter's son. What gives? You know, um, I think a little like St. Paul, he's known how to be content in plenty and in want. And I've experienced all kinds. I ran two companies in New York in my younger years, before I was a Christian, before I knew who Christ was and traveled the world, earned tremendous salaries. And then when I was looking into the Catholic Church, I left everything and everyone and went to New York and took a waitress job in a diner in a raunchy part of New York where the adult, the owner of the adult um, video store across the street was shot and killed. And the restaurant was dangerous. And I tell you, I've never been so happy. I've never been so happy. It's such, uh, maybe one day I can take the time on the radio now that we're live streamed because it, it takes a little explanation to, um, to tell you a glorious, glorious story. But I, it, my happiest job I've ever had was a waitress in that wet restaurant. And in fact, I looked up the ad because I needed a job where a company wasn't going to invest in me because I was looking to the Catholic church. I wasn't looking to build a career. And, um, so I saw a job. It said, waitress wanted no experience needed. I said, aha. So I went to apply and I said, I qualify. I have no experience as a waitress. And you said, no experience is needed. And so, um, we talked and I said, and he needed someone. He said, okay, let's try you. And I said, no, no, I don't want you to pay me. I want you to let me be here one day without a salary. I don't know if I can do it because it was a diner where you needed to pile 
six dishes. You had to hold two dishes in one hand here and pile the other four on your arm. And so you had to be strong. You had to have good balance. And um, uh, what else did you have to do? Uh, I guess that's it. Be strong and good balance. And I didn't know that I was either. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I, uh-uh. I said, let me just follow your waitresses around for one day. I don't want you to pay me and see if I can do it. Well, the waitresses, they were all, they were out of jail. They were on drugs. I felt, I just loved them. I absolutely loved them. And they were all in their twenties and I was in my forties and we just loved each other right away. And at the end of the day, they said, so are you going to come? You're going to take the job? I said, I don't know that I can do this. They said, oh, you can do it. We'll help you. Don't worry. So I took the job. And I have the most magnificent stories, I will tell you, along the way. But to work, you know, I, I ran two businesses. I worked with high-level people um, and here I'm working with what people would consider not high-level people. And I tell you, um, I could live the rest of my life with those waitresses and and the beautiful people that came into that raunchy neighborhood. I just could have bought the restaurant, which I wanted to do. Um, it is too much of a story. And just turned half of it into a home for the for the homeless and the other half kept the diner to feed them. Uh, it was just heaven to me. And you know, and again, I was a jail chaplain in my Protestant years in a women's jail for 10 years. And I've picked people off the streets. I want to tell you that um, what I have found among the poor you don't always find humility among the poor, and you can often find humility among the rich. But the degree of, of down-to-earthness, uh, kind-heartedness, it's the poor who will give you everything. They will give you everything. The rich hold back, and they skimp, and they decide what they can give. But the poor don't hold back. Um, in my experience, I was in Far East Russia, Vladivostok, on a mission for three weeks, and we went through the whole Primorsky region, and we went to homes in areas that only see a priest once a month, because there were five priests to that entire area that's more than twice the size of Texas. And I would go with a translator, and we would visit homes, and they would feed us and the table they had was, generosity is not even the word for it, it was packed with food for us to have everything. And we ate as few spoonfuls as we could manage and say, oh, we're stuffed, we can't eat another thing. Because we knew that if we opened the closet, their closets would be completely empty and they took everything out of their closet to feed us, and they gave us a feast, and we knew it was everything they had. So we ate as sparingly as we could to not offend them. We never refused anything they wanted to give us, but we were spared. We spared it because we understood they hold back nothing. And you see, beloved, in our hearts that that's what we should be. We should hold back absolutely 
absolutely nothing from God. And when we treat our employees uh, with honor, the people, the homeless on the street, and we give them um, uh, out of our abundance, not uh, holding back, we're giving to God. We're giving to God. We should never hold back anything from God. Anything from God, beloved. Um, you have no idea the beauty and the freedom you will experience when you walk with God and treat others truly as His creation, as His child, made in His image, knowing that what you do to the least of them, you indeed do to God. Okay, beloved. There's uh, the music for our second break, which is shorter than our first break. We'll be right back. We cannot take your calls and emails and texts today because we are. This is pre-recorded, brand new program for you, but pre-recorded. So don't go anyplace. We'll be right back after the break. The Station of the Cross invites you to join us each day for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is the daily prayer of the Church and is made up of readings from sacred scripture, writings from saints and theologians, and small reflections. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. We hope you'll join us for this daily prayer of the Church each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Station of the Cross. This is the Pope Paul VI Institute Minute with Dr. Tom Hilgers. Who does a Creighton Model Fertility Care System benefit? Pope Paul VI Encyclical Letter Humana Vitae inspired me in 1976 to recruit a team to begin to investigate the natural methods of fertility regulation. Our investigations led to the standardization of the mucus observations and subsequently to the Creighton Model Fertility Care System. We opened the Pope Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction in 1985 to house our ongoing work. Over the years, we have trained numerous practitioners and physicians in the Creighton Model System. As our numbers increase, more couples and more women will have access to learning the system for fertility regulation and for monitoring their health with NAPRO technology. Introducing you to the Creighton Model Fertility Care System, I'm Dr. Tom Hilgers. For a complimentary gift and more information on the Pope Paul VI Institute, log on to www.popepaulvi6.com. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than with spiritual formation from inspiring priests as they preach the gospel in the midst of your busy life. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living, weekdays 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on The Station of the Cross. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We This is recorded absolutely live for you, but it was pre-recorded because I'm traveling today to see if God has a new home for us um, as a community. And um, But this is brand new and fresh, and we have been reading through um, Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on labor and capital, uh, or capital and labor, following Labor Day. And I tell you, 
if you've been with us and following this, it is everything for us. It could have been written today to um, to avoid, to count, counter the evils of our day. And Leo uh, Thirteenth goes on to say, from contemplation of this divine model, it is more easy to understand that the true worth and nobility of man lie in his moral qualities, that is, in virtue. That virtue is, moreover, the common inheritance of men, equally within the reach of high and low, rich and poor. And that virtue, and virtue alone, wherever found, will be followed by the rewards of everlasting happiness. Nay, God himself seems to incline rather to those who suffer misfortune, for Jesus Christ calls the poor blessed. He lovingly invites those in labor and grief to come to him for solace, and he displays the tenderest charity toward the lowly and the oppressed. These reflections cannot fail to keep down the pride of the well-to-do and to give heart to the unfortunate, to move the former to be generous and the latter to be moderate in their desires. Thus, the separation which pride would set up tends to disappear, nor will it be difficult to make rich and poor join hands in friendly concord. But if Christian precepts prevail, the respect of classes will not only be united in the bonds of friendship, but also in those of brotherly love. You know, I'm reminded here how the Apostle Paul calls himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. What is that? It was when, the, when, when our Lord came to earth that the Jews as a people pretty much were slaves to the Romans. And when one was a slave, generally they lived with the family. In a, it could be within a large house. It could be in an outhouse. It could be in an adjoining situation. But they lived with the family pretty much to serve the family. And the slave, one counted a slave, that was the society, societal structure, would get married and have children, and the children would be raised with the family they served. And after seven years, the, the, the jubilee year, with Israel never properly kept, but after those seven years, it was the law that uh, the slaves would be set free. But after seven years, many of the slaves who had children and their, the families, the children played together, the families of the one, their masters, and they grew together in love. And the slaves said, no, we, we don't want to leave you. We, we love you and our children love one another and we're part of your family. We want to stay that way, uh, not out of slavery now, but we want to remain your slaves, so to speak, your servants out of our own free will. We want to serve you. We love this arrangement the rest of our lives and have our families grow together. It was a mutual love. And so they became a bond slave. They were bound to the family by their choice, by their free will. And that's why St. Paul calls himself a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are slaves of Christ by our own choice, by our own free will. And so that's why St. Pope 
uh, Leo the Thirteenth says, but if Christian precepts prevail, the respective classes will not only be united in the bonds of friendship, but also in those of brotherly love. Oh, we are the most poor if we don't see what different classes and cultures of people have to offer us. They have virtue. They have meaning. They have understanding. They have experience. They have an outlook that we don't have. They're able to teach us so much of life, and we them. Pope Leo XIII continues, For they will understand and feel that all men are children of the same common Father who is God, that all have alike the same last end, which is God himself, who alone can make either men or angels absolutely and perfectly happy, that each and all are redeemed and made sons of God by Jesus Christ, quote, the firstborn among many brethren, end quote, that the blessings of nature and the gifts of grace belong to the whole human race in common, and that from none except the unworthy is withheld the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. Quote, if sons, heirs also, heirs indeed of God and co-heirs with Christ, end quote. Such is the scheme of duties and of rights, which is shown forth to the world by the gospel. Would it not seem that were society penetrated with ideas like these, strife must quickly cease? Two and two is four, beloved. There's no question. There's no question. We say, but how, but how, but how, but how, but how? And my answer always is live as if it's true. It just live with your family this way. Live, if you're an employer, start work today as if it's true. Treat your employees with honor and respect. Make sure that they go to church on Sunday if if that is their faith. Make sure of that. Make sure they earn a decent wage. Make sure they are treated with dignity as human beings as you would like to be treated. One by one, that's how the world will change. One by one, that's how society was um, evangelized. One by one. Pope Leo XIII says, Such is the scheme of duties and of rights, which is shown forth to the world by the gospel. Would it not seem that were society penetrated we already read that. With ideas like these, strife must quickly cease. But the church, not content with pointing out the remedy, also applies it. Now that's what we need. People say, okay, okay, so that's the answer. How on earth can I do it? How can I get my husband, my wife, my spouse, my children, my employer, my employees? How do I apply this? Here we go. For the church does her utmost to teach and to train men and to educate them and by the intermediary of her bishops and clergy diffuses her salutary teachings far and wide. She strives to influence the mind and the heart so that all may willingly yield themselves to be formed and guided by the commandments of God. It is precisely in this fundamental and momentous matter 
on which everything depends that the church possesses a power peculiarly, peculiarly, has that her own? That's easy for you to say. The instruments which she employs are given to her by Jesus Christ himself for the very purpose of reaching the hearts of men and drive their efficacy, um, rather their efficiency from God. They al- de- and they drive their efficiency from God. They alone can reach the innermost heart and conscience and bring men to act from a motive of duty to control their passions and appetites, to love God and their fellow men with a love that is outstanding um, and of the highest degree and to break down courageously every barrier which blocks the way to virtue. And you say... Oh, Mother, that may have been true in Pope Leo's time, but it's not true today with our bishops and pastors and hierarchy leading us in the way of truth. That's not true, beloved. That is not true. There are many holy bishops, many holy priests, many holy cardinals, many, and we need to follow them. And if you knew your faith, you'd know who to follow and who not to follow. But what is paramount what is primary, beloved, is the parents are the ones, not the priests, not the bishops, but the parents are the ones given the responsibility to raise their children in the faith and the stewardship of the home. What is not taught and practiced at home will not um, mold your children. It will not. In fact, it'll turn them away from the faith because they'll learn one thing in church and they'll see another life lived at home, and they'll see it as hypocritical, and they won't be interested. Every power has, every parent has that power. If you've ever listened to the testimony of Bishop Athanasius Snyder, that holy, wonderful bishop from Kakistan, um, they were without the Eucharist, without priests, without the Mass for years, and they held... um, Uh, somewhat of a service, uh, just gathering with their family, reading the scriptures, praying, living a Catholic home in the midst of the threat of communism. Midst of the threat, they knew who God was and they would not compromise even at the threat of their lives. Our Christianity, our salvation is not dependent upon society. It is not even dependent upon the... Um, strength of our Catholic prelates. No, it is dependent upon God having chosen us. Through our baptism, we are soldiers of Christ and we need to live it. You say, well, I've never been taught the faith. Well, it's time you learn. It's time you learn. You don't need someone to teach you. Get a catechism. Get the scriptures. Go online. Tremendous, wonderful resources. And you must gather with your family at night, Papa, and teach them. And you say, I don't know enough to teach them. Yes, you do. Just read the catechism together. And if questions come up you don't know, go online and find, say to your children, you know, I don't know that. Who wants to take it on as a project and bring us the answer? Or if they're too young, you say, you know what? I'll look it up and we'll have the answer tomorrow. And then you can look it up online. And again, there are fantastic resources, apologetic resources such as Catholic Answers, Catholic.com, Catholics United for the Faith. Um, and there are, there's the Catechism online. There are encyclicals of the Holy uh, Fathers online. 
so, so, so many resources online, beloved. Okay, I'm going to continue to read here. On this subject, Pope Leo XIII says, We need to but recall for one moment the examples recorded in history. Of these facts, there cannot be any shadow of doubt. For instance, that civil society was renovated in every part by Christian institutions, that in the strength of that renewal, the human race was lifted up to better things, nay, that it was brought back from death to life and to so, uh, to so excellent a life that nothing more perfect had been known before or will come to be known in the ages that have yet to be. Of this beneficent transformation, Jesus Christ was at once the first cause and the final end. As from him all came, so to him was all to be brought back. For when the human race, by the light of the gospel message, came to know the grand mystery of the incarnation of the word and the redemption of man, at once the life of Jesus Christ, God and man, pervaded every race and nation and interpenetrated them with his faith, his precepts, and his laws. And if human society is to be healed now, in no other way can it be healed save by a return to Christian life and Christian institutions. And I'm going to add, not just to a return to Christian life and Christian institutions, but those who bear the name Christian to be Christian, those who bear the name of Catholic, Catholic charities, Catholic schools, to honor that name. Catholic charities, if you are going to adopt children to same-sex couples, change your name. You are no longer Catholic. Schools, Catholic schools, if you hire teachers who are not Catholic and will not teach the faith, if you have same-sex education, if you adopt the core program, if you adopt uh, gender ideology or anything of that sort, change your name. You are no longer Catholic. We need Christian life and Christian institutions who are indeed Christian and will honor the name of Christ who they claim to follow. Otherwise, you are in sin. You are using the name of Christ in a blasphemous way. If you invite speakers to your parish who are who advocate same-sex marriage or any other such thing, change the name of your parish because it's no longer Catholic. You're either Catholic or you're not. Uh, it's time, beloved, to live our faith without compromise or we will be swallowed up by the evil that is growing steadily around us. God bless you, beloved, and we'll speak to you in the morning.